warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. It's a bit of a rarity today for the first time, I think, since July, which is about three months ago. Stephen, good morning. It's just me and you. It is just the two of us. <laughs> I think there's a song about that, isn't there? A bit of a rarity. So, yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. We've usually uh, got some welcome guests. It's normally just, you know, us bantering with some mm. other people who are bringing some kind of quality in, and, and we're going to have to try and lift the bar ourselves. Uh, <laughs> Go up our game. A challenge. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we can remember how to um, insert some quality ourselves so uh, let's let's give it a go and see how we do well i think the quality lies within the um the choice of movie today it doesn't it was your choice there you go then i'll take full responsibility for it <laughs> i was just thinking this morning is when we started this podcast this movie for me personally is one of the ones you sort of think of when you think of classic british films those 50s comedies which we keep going back to quite often this was massive, wasn't it, this film at the time? I think it was like the Royal Command Performance movie at the time. I think the first one, even. I'm not too sure. And some of our favourite people in it as well. Yeah, it's completely within the wheelhouse of that original idea of the, the classic British films. And particularly since this, despite its popularity at the time, despite it being known by people who were like us into particular films, mm. I think it's... It's fallen between the cracks a little bit compared to some of the other alien comedies and and yeah. stuff that are out there. I mean, this nearly was an alien comedy, but it was an alien comedy that nearly was. You know, there's other ones that have eclipsed it, even though this, I think, if I remember reading correctly, it was the uh, the second biggest film of the year um, in its year of release. So, Ooh. absolutely, this is fully within the, the wheelhouse of what, we um, would normally have been considered doing, yeah. and, you know, just going back to these. It's the you know the fifties. We do, we do love on this podcast fifties films. We so. do, yeah, sort of gravitate towards them a little <laughs> bit now. I'm I'm intrigued to find out what the um, the best selling movie of the year was. There then, if this was second, mm. it'd be interesting. We'll have a little look in, in a minute. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, it's Genevieve. It's 1953. We'll be back after this. Oh, there they are. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, having some difficulty, old man? Where have you been? We didn't pass you. We've just been enjoying a delicious and most leisurely lunch. You've changed. Oh, and you've had a picnic. Oh. Why couldn't we have had a picnic? I love picnics. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that old Crocs packed it in for good? Well, don't worry about it. Are you sure I can't give you a hand, old boy? Don't you think Wendy ought to come with us? I should hate it to miss the parade. <laughs> if you take my advice, old boy, the next time that engine dies, you'll take it out and bury it. Ha-ha! <laughs> 
that? Hurry, let's go. Do you think something awful's happened? Could be. Oh, oh Susie. Susie. Oh, my Susie. Poor Susie. Poor Susie. Oh, Having some difficulty, old man? Maybe we should take Roslyn with us. You know, I should hate her to miss the parade. Ha, ha. If you take my advice, the next time that engine dies... Did you see his expression? Okay, so that's Genevieve. Released, as we say, 1953. Directed by Henry Cornelius. Starring, and as I said, there's some favourites amongst this lot, mate. We've got John Gregson. We've got Kenneth Moore, Kay Kendall, Dinah Sheridan. And cropping up in the background, we've got people like Geoffrey Keane, Reginald Beckwith and Joyce Grenfell, amongst many others. You've got a little bit of work on the Hall of Fame, I'm assuming, mate. So, Genevieve. In this upbeat British comedy, two friends enter an antique car rally. Alan McKim, played by John Gregson, drives his beloved 1904 automobile named Genevieve, while Ambrose Claverhouse, Kenneth Moore, takes his vintage spiker car. Now, according to this synopsis, it says, Alan and Ambrose bring their wives, Diana Sheridan K. Kendall, well, that's not strictly true, along for the wild ride from London to Brighton, and the trek soon turns fiercely competitive, each driver devising clever ways to sabotage the other in hopes of winning the race. Makes it sound a bit more of a knockabout comedy from that description, but it's more of a typically 50s British genteel affair, this one, mate, isn't it? Yes. I mean, certainly it comes across as being really sort of prototype of the things that later came about elsewhere like mm. um cannonball run or, or <laughs> the Mad british Mad version World. of the cannonball uh, run the race element where there's people you know trying to over overcome each other they're not just it's a straight line going around a track they're actually trying to outdo each other and there's little bits of schoolduggery going on you know it should be uh, seen as being more uh, friendly rivalry although it does yeah. get a little bit out of hands it's still a comedy it's still genteel in many ways and the level of one-upmanship is really still a level of sort of British 50s morality <laughs> yeah, rather than anything else. It gets a bit uh, nasty towards the end. You know, when the stakes are quite high, you know, it's his car that he puts on the line here for this race. And Kenneth Moore is actually quite ruthless. He's quite unlikable towards the end of this movie, isn't he? And we love Kenneth Moore usually, but he's really a nasty character. Yes, there's an element, I think, where people have commented about these characters that are obviously at least middle class who mm. have got these indulgences and um, are basically neglecting their other halves in, in favour of some rivalry about old cars. There's a, a an indulgence there, but it certainly doesn't present Kenneth Moore's character in the, the, the right light because he seems to be not necessarily the villain of the piece, but certainly is the antagonist. Yeah. Um, because he's making comments that are not necessarily wise or just some kinds of bit, a bit arrogant, are winding his friend up into a situation where the situation escalates into a rivalry when it really that started out as being making, making friendly jests about each other's cars. But that's as far as it, it was going before yeah. it, it, for some reason, escalated unwisely. And I think, you know, Kenneth Moore also 
having another thing on his mind for what he was wanting to uh, win, might be the uh, <laughs> first, uh, <laughs> with regards to Kay Kendall, um, mm. might have, have also not shown him in the best light uh, either as a character. I think Dinah Sheridan is equally to blame for this whole breakdown in their friendship because as the story goes along, we we know that these guys, Kenneth Moore and John Gregson, have been doing the London to Brighton rally for years and years and they're best friends. And every year, Kenneth Moore brings a different girl with the intention of getting his wicked way with them. But Dinah Sheridan was his date three years previously or whatever it was before she married Gregson. But nothing happened. But there's a point in the movie where Dinah Sheridan's trying to be clever or testing John Gregson's devotion or whatever. And she just doesn't let on that nothing happened three years ago. And that's the cause of the whole breakdown, isn't it, really? That's what the breakdown in the marriage, the breakdown in the friendship. And that's what makes it become nasty. And she's, you know, quite vicious in doing that herself. I mean, it just amazed me watching this for the umpteenth time now. Just how up and down and how hot and cold Dinah Sheridan is towards John Gregson throughout the whole movie. It's, oh, darling, this one minute. And then it's, I hate your guts, the next. Yes, she unfortunately comes across as some awful stereotype as, as a wife that is running hot and cold. Mm. And this something that runs through um, some particularly 50s British films where somebody is, is not just saying the truth, they're letting somebody else think something wrong. The idea that they're stewing in their own juices yeah. because they've concocted the wrong idea and therefore, well, if you think that, then you know, let you suffer the consequences of, of, of your own thinking on it. That does escalate this and, and does cause problems because she's not just outright saying, look, you silly ass, nothing <laughs> happened between us, yeah. um, just forget it. But And then it's not helped by the fact that right at the start there's her confiding in Kenneth Moore um, and then John Gregson walking in and going, what What are you not going to tell me? Because that's all he, he, he that's overhears. Oh, yeah. that, that, oh, I can't tell him that. And then he walks in and says, what can't you tell me? And I oh, just, it, it does create a situation. And obviously this is the intention in the film. It does create that tension. It does create the, the a bit of drama there. And script-wise, it, it does what it's meant to do with the characters playing off and, you know, each person playing the characters well. But it, it um, you, d- you do get this in films where you think, well, just in real life, you'd just say, no, nothing happened and you'd move on and there won't be any, any story to tell. Yeah. Am I right in remembering there was a line? So I think it was the bit at the dinner just about when Kay Kendall's playing the trumpet, which is an absolutely fantastic and a classic piece of British cinema. There's a line somewhere, I'm sure, Dinah Sheridan turns to Kay Kendall because they say, oh, the men are only interested in the cars and the other or something she refers to it at. And and Dinah Sheridan goes, yeah, well, John Gregson's only interested in the car or something. Not the other, or something. It's, um, <laughs> when there's, it's when there's just before they have the final bit of uh, when they've, relented on not having a race anymore not having yeah. a bet and they have the ice creams yep. um, and they pause then and everything's off and then within a few sentences of talking it escalates back into a rivalry and a bet again mm-hmm. um, in that intervening period when they're getting the ice creams and sorting the cars out the, the two ladies are stood on the steps outside the hotel watching them that's when that conversation uh, happens. Seemed um, a bit risque for me for the time it, it just yeah. struck me and, it's a bit saucy you know there was another part, I can't remember exactly what was said, but along the same lines where they're discussing something or there's a reference to something saucy mm. and 
in order to kind of cut away from that or distract from it, there's some loud sound of, of the car horn or, or the, the car yeah. making a bang or something other to maybe distract the, the, the sensor or, or people who might be of sensitive disposition <laughs> that there might have been. Because apparently this film, you know, there was problems with it being released in, in the United yeah, States. And that. there's there's a number of, of different elements to it being difficult released in the States, um, including one person whose name actually removed because they were they were blacklisted because of the uh, McCarthy thing. Was that but, the director? No, it was the person who did the sound. Oh, Larry uh, Adler, wasn't it? It was Larry Adler, wasn't Larry it? Larry Adler, yeah. But there was also apparently the censors in America, from what I read, were, were sensitive about the fact that a, there's a reference to going to the toilet because yes. she asked for a, a, a money to go spend that a penny. That was it, yes. That was it. She comes running back, doesn't she, from the park yeah. to get a penny. Yeah. And and then, which apparently wasn't a done thing over <laughs> even in the 50s in the States, she couldn't refer to going to the toilet. Oh, heaven forbid. But um, there was also some controversy over the fact that there was at least the implication, and it was very much implied and, and been more gentle about it was that you know Kenneth Moore was basically having a dirty weekend yes. um, away <laughs> which was you know not to be done apparently there isn't anything risque in this and the, a, a really mild reference to the to basically him uh, uh, trying to have um, some fun in that way it, it, yes it, it demonstrates uh, an element of the character of Kenneth Moore but there's certainly nothing there for anybody to get offended by. No, um, no. So it's it's surprising. But just notice the screenwriter William Rose. Apart yeah. from writing the excellent Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is a completely different movie to this, he was mm. one of the screenwriters for It's a Mad 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 World. If I remember correctly, with Mad Mad World, I'm just trying mm. to remember. It's, was it? I think it was originally meant to be happening in Scotland, but the. When it was all all agreed to be produced, they end up agreeing to produce it based upon the fact of transferring it to America and yeah. putting mostly American stars in it, apart from uh, Terry Thomas is in it, isn't oh, he? That's right, Sid Caesar and yeah. Spencer Tracy, famously, isn't it? I think all of those guys. That I'm pretty sure you're right. It was supposed to be a a British set movie, wasn't it? I'm sure it was. Sort of the Ealing connection that you mentioned earlier. Uh, he also wrote. The Lady Killers and one other, I think, Maggie. The Maggie, which is the one about the boat, which nobody ever talks about, which is an Ealing comedy. Um, the smallest show on earth, you know, those sort of you know classic 50s British comedies again. Um, what was the Ealing connection then? You said it was very nearly an Ealing production, but it was it was distributed by Rank, wasn't it? And I'm not too sure if that was our, our dear friend um, Billy Watts' face on the, on the gong. We'll have to check. But you, you said there was an Ealing connection, or very nearly it was an Ealing movie. Yeah. Originally, Henry Cornelius, who was um, the director, he'd had success with Passport to Pimlico. Oh. Um, and that had really, you know, been really successful, as we know, mm. and still is very oh, successful. Yes. Yeah. But that was, a, a, you know, a great, surprising success for um, Elin. And he then basically uh, went to them and said, oh, look, I've had this really good success. I brought you in loads of money, blah, blah, blah. I want a pay rise. Yeah. And they went, you've got a cheek. Uh, uh, no, we're not <laughs> going to do it. So there was a breakdown of relations on that. And he said, right, well, you know, I think I'm worth more, so I'll go elsewhere and earn it. So yeah, that's what he did and, and went and did um, some, I can't remember what the next film was, he did somewhere else. But then he um, he got Genevieve, 
in his hands and mm. he went to Ealing to say, you know, do you want to do this? You know, I'll, I'll do this and bring it to you. And because of the um, the bad feeling that had been left due to him having the temerity to ask for higher wages considering bringing more money in, yeah. um, it got turned down. And I mean, Malcolm, uh, Michael Balcon mm. um, of Ealing apparently was was um, fairly straight with him about it. It wasn't, a, you know, a, a horror. He mm-hmm. actually sort of just explained why not and, and didn't make a fuss about it, but, you know, advised him to go elsewhere. And I think also it was, they probably had their own production schedule that would have meant that it would have been delayed as well to do. So um, he ended up taking it to rank um, studios instead who were willing to do it as long as he got financing from elsewhere oh, as well right. for... I don't know. I think it was. I mean, if I remember correctly, reading it was twenty or thirty percent needed to get some work from somewhere else, which he managed to to, to get through. Yeah, I don't know. The like, National like, Film the, Finance. The, mm, I was going to say it was the the equivalent of of you know the National Lottery or the the <laughs> yeah. you know British Film Institute or somebody or BFI. Or yeah. So yeah. So it it ended up getting made elsewhere, but it very much you know it, it could have been a, an ealing comedy if they would just said yes to it when it was offered to them first. There we go. So that's that's the whole thing. It could quite easily have been an Ealing comedy uh, at the early stages of production. It, it comes across as an Ealing comedy or something that Ealing would have brought out at the time, definitely. You know, and there's a lot of sort of Ealing pedigree there as well, because um, uh, John Gregson himself, you know, famously was you know in quite a few Ealing comedies, wasn't he? So yeah, absolutely adore. It. And this thing's a yeah. bit di- sorry. Yeah. I was going to say the good thing is for us, we didn't have so much of a studio system over here mm. that they did over in the states. So. We do get people like Kenneth Moore and John Gregson and, and Kay Kendall or whoever flip between films done by different studios rather than it being that they're so much tied into. I mean, there was a bit of tying in, but there was a lot more loans that went on and a lot more freedom given than it was over in the States where people were very much restricted about who they'd end up working with. And there was some major missed opportunities with that, which is a, you know, a whole podcast in itself about who could have worked with like Bette Davis regretting, you know, a big list of people she never got to work with, uh, unfortunately, because of the studio system, Yeah, you know, restricting her and stuff. So uh, we did better over here, and there was a number of people that we see them, like you said, John Gregson and, and stuff, are very much the the people that we see flitting around dealing comedies and the other stuff that we uh, that are tangential that we, we love, although they weren't the original choices. Wasn't it Dirk Bogart was one, wasn't he, I think, I read somewhere? Yes, and Guy Middleton as well. Guy Middleton, yeah, who were, who wow. Were the two, so. That would have worked, though, wouldn't it, with those two? Definitely would have worked. I mean, as much as we love it, Kenneth Moore and, and John Gregson, I think it would have worked with those two. I think it would have done as well. I mean, I'm not not sure it would it would have worked as well, um, but that could be just because we're, we're used to seeing <laughs> uh, John Gregson and Kenneth Moore doing the parts. And, True. and so now we're now we're imagining somebody else do it. It, it's, it doesn't quite quite fit in. So, but um, I don't think it would have been would have been massively, uh, you know, detrimental to have had those two in it. There are some people that you could imagine it wouldn't have worked for. But I think there's enough people who are, are, are good enough at character actors that they could have could have got away. I mean, there's you know, you could have even had you know Sid James and I don't know, <laughs> um, 
Sid James would have done the Kenneth Moore character justice, I think, because he yes. is that Lothario, isn't he? And it, I think that would have really worked. That would have made it a completely different movie, though, wouldn't it? I think. I mean, because you said there is this middle class element of men playing with their toys at weekends, I think Sid James probably wouldn't have worked in that respect. Um, no, I agree. Sid James would have been out for... There would have been some underhand deal going on throughout the thing or something, you know. He'd have had to have been sort of a nouveau riche that, or somebody that had, <laughs> you know, some, some second-hand car salesman that was chances in his arm trying to get into the... Um, you know, like in, in Last Holiday where he's trying to manoeuvre himself into being a, a, the next social yes. level up yeah um it'd be it'd be that kind of character i think that that's um made a bit of money not necessarily through straightforward means and is looking to to step up a level i think that's where it would, it would have been but yeah anyway we we had good people in it as it was so there's no complaint yeah well i'd like to talk a little bit more about some of the stars of the film including some of the co-stars as well and the background characters so if you want to grab your keys mate we'll take a wander up to the village hall of fame The Village Hall of Fame, in which anybody that's appeared on the show three times or more gets inducted. Um, looking briefly at the cast list, at first glance, I don't think it would have been too taxing for you, but then there's a couple in there I think we're going to sort of like have to talk about, mate. So if you could take the reins, as it were, and let us know who's in and who's who's waiting in the wings. Right. Well, wouldn't normally mention anybody who is making their first appearance, but uh, we should... I think recognise this is the first time we have seen on any film in this podcast the first time we have seen Joyce Grinville. Amazing. A hundred and however many, nearly 150 films we've reviewed and she has not cropped up in anything. No, the the icon that is and you know, obviously once we start doing the uh, Centrinians film she'll be uh, catapulted <laughs> but at the moment this is the first time we've seen her and uh, it was nice that she was, even at the time, her status was recognised enough for her to be a special appearance by or, or guest well, appearance by in the cameo, credits, yeah. rather than um, rather than it simply being that she was just another person listed in the the um, cast list. So that's you know quite a beautiful thing. Absolutely worth mentioning, mate. Yes. So yeah. first appearance, it's incredible. I still you know can't believe. I think you've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do do make mistakes, so it's quite possible. <laughs> So we do have uh, six people making their second appearances, which is uh, Reginald Beckwith, uh, Henry Cornelius, Stanley Eskane, Keir Kendall, uh, Jim Tyson and Patrick Westwood. So How many appearances uh, is that, mate? Sorry, how many? They're two. That's only two? two oh, well, so, so we've got... Um, I thought got, Reginald uh, Beckwith would have been more. He's just one of those yeah, faces, yeah. isn't he? Probably Scott exactly, of the Antarctic, yeah. isn't he? I think he's the only one then. Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay. I mean, it, depending on release order, it might be that there's another film that we've mm, done uh, yeah. in a different order because we have sort of moved a couple around. So, yeah. But yes, at this point. So, And then there's five people making their third appearances that are getting their plastic 
chair um, in the village hall um, oh, and a cup of tea okay. uh, with a biscuit. Joey Carr, who is in It Always Rains on a Sunday in Passbox Pimlico. Charles Lamb, who is in Hell Drivers and Love Into Hill Mob. Edwin Marlin, who is in Heavens Above Night to Remember. Edie Martin, who is in Always Rains on a Sunday in Lavender Hill Mob. Uh, Michael Medwin, who was the... Um, the father to the be. The expectant, expectant mm. father, yes. Was in Carry On Nurse and If, which are two very different wow. films. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, Frank Schock, uh, who was in uh, Heavens Above and Night Great to Remember. Name. Frank Schock, uh, we'll see. Yeah. So we've got an, enough from Night to Remember there to, to, <laughs> you know, to tick the box. That we always like to do. Yeah. Um, there are actually three people making their fourth appearance. Okay. Daniel Brown, who is in Gideon's Day, Lavender Hill Mob, and Quatermass Two. Martin Lider, who is in Lavender Hills Mob, Night to Remember, and Seven Days to Noon. And Harold Siddons, who is in Dam Busters, Dunkirk, and Night to Remember. <laughs> of course. Because. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people, are, um, and that includes some of the people who are making their fifth appearance. I bet he does. <laughs> uh, of, which there are, of which there are four of them. Richard Duke, uh, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, Seven Days to Noon, and Troubling Star. John Gregson is making his uh, fifth appearance, which is uh, very good. Uh, he was in Holly in the Ivy, Lavender Hill Mob, Scott of the Antarctic, and Whiskey Galore. Mm-hmm. Arthur Lovegrove, Night to Remember, One Good Turn, Passport to Pimlico, and Creative Mass Experiment, and Kenneth Moore, Admirable Crichton, Doctor in the House, Night to Remember, and North West Frontier. So it's interesting that both John Gregson and Kenneth Moore are equal pegging. Amazing nice. that John Gregson has appeared in more on this show than Joyce Grenfell. I, yeah. I'd have thought that would have been the other way round, completely. You, you you would have done, but then again, you would have expected Joyce Grenfell to be in more than, um, I don't know, maybe uh, somebody who was called Guy Stondaven. I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah, take I your mean, point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So there's one person making their sixth appearance. Yeah. Uh, Fred Nicholas, who was in Lavender Hill Mob, Long Arm, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, and Troubling Star. So... I've got an idea who's going to be above that one then. Um, right. Well, uh, it, it might be one of the people who, uh, one of the two people who's making their seventh appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Keane. That's the one. Uh, yeah. Doctor in the House, uh, Long Arm. Uh, Man Who Never Was, Seven Days to Noon, Third Man and Yield to the Night. Yeah. Uh, he's accompanied by Billy Wilmot. Who? <laughs> the great Billy Wilmot. Yeah. Um, I must be the father of Gary. Um, <laughs> and there's a reference. Um, Doctor in the House, Man of the Moment, uh, Night to Remember, Peeping Tom, Seven Days to Noon and Troubling Star. Billy Wilmot is last on the cast list on IMDb as onlooker uncredited. Of course, he would be. Well, it, <laughs> it would be, yeah. Um, You've got more. We've got one person, one person making their ninth appearance. <laughs> Go on. Is uh, Eileen Lewis. Again, hang um, on, I can't even find her on the cast list. Eileen Lewis is credited as I haven't got her on my cast list. Who, who's Eileen Lewis, mate? Do we know? Uh, just see oh, I'm just having a look. Um, um, oh, Aileen Lewis, yes, nightclub patron. Oh, Aileen Lewis, un- sorry. Yeah, yeah uh, nightclub patron uncredited, okay. There you go, and uh, curiously, she was um, in Cruel Sea, which was the best performing film of uh, yeah. the year. You, you that looked year. it up, yes, um, yeah. And then she was also in the second best, which was this one, so, you know, well done to her. <laughs> we don't um, know who she, she is. Also a- <laughs> 
<laughs> she was also in Man of the Moment, Nights, remember, uh, The Reckoning, uh, The Ooh. Rebel, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Sweeney, exclamation mark, uh, Trouble in Store, and Wicker Man. So she was had quite a varied... She, I'm just looking, half of those aren't listed on her letterboxed um, CV, but she was in The Prince and the Showgirl. Genevieve, mm. carry on again, Doctor. Doctor in Clover, and some really dodgy sort of like thriller type murder thing. The Devil's Daffodil, which sounds intriguing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Slipper and the Rose, which was the Cinderella thing, right? Uh, uh, Aileen Lewis is is battling her way up the top there. Okay. I know, it's shocking. Yeah. yeah. Above her though is uh, one person making their eleventh appearance. It's not Fred Griffiths, is, is it? Or Michael Balfour? Uh, Ernest, Ernest, Ernest Blythe. Okay, okay, Ernest Blythe. Who Ernest was Blythe. nightclub patron In, uncredited again? Okay. Yeah, Ten Reddington Players, Carry On Teacher, From Russia With Love, Gideon's Dead, Lavender Hill, Mo, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, Revenge of Frankenstein, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Trouble In Store. God bless him. Couldn't tell you who who he was. No. Yeah, he's, he's no, he... you wouldn't you wouldn't recognise him. Um, but you did met, just mention um, Fred Griffiths, yeah. who is uh, making his fourteenth appearance. Oh, <laughs> I was I was joking. Um, I didn't realise he was he was the um, he was the ice cream seller. Yes, if I remember correctly. Yes, um, from this. Uh, so always wins on a Sunday. Carry on, uh, carry on regardless. Cool see Dad's army. Doctor in the House, Dunkirk, Heavens Above, Lavender Hill Mob, The Long Arm, One Good Turn, Passport to Pimlico, Pool of London. And there's uh, plenty more that he's in that we are going to come to at yes. some point. He's just one of those faces. I always thought he was in the Italian job. I don't think he is. It was Billion Dollar Brain is the Michael Caine movie, is it? Yeah. Yeah, he's in I'm Alright, Jack, and things that we haven't got to yet. Um, Dad's Army, the movie. Did you mention that? He was in that, Yeah, he? yeah, he's yeah. in Dad's Army. Yeah. yeah. But he was also in Cruel Sea, again, one of those that's, um, you know, I was in the two top yeah. person films of that, yeah. Imagine it. That's, that's yeah. And you have to look him up and see where <laughs> the, the third best grossing one, he was in that one as well, you know. It probably was. He could be the key to, key to success. Everybody <laughs> should have employed him that year. Let's just go back on some of these. I mean... We haven't really spoken about Kay Kendall, and every time Kay Kendall appears, you know, we, we mentioned the tragic story of Kay Kendall. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Died at the age of 32. Uh, leukemia, wasn't it? She was diagnosed with some, some form of like serious leukemia and married to Rex Harrison, who, who discovered this through her doctor, but never told her. She, she was under yeah. the impression it was some sort of iron deficiency, wasn't it? And she died believing she wasn't seriously ill, whereas like Rex Harrison kept it from. Um, tragic, tragic story. 32 years old. I mean, she's probably sort of mid-twenties here. Did, did make a few more movies. This was the one that sort of catapulted her to fame. Yeah, um, she subsequently was in with Rex Harrison. And she was uh, a couple of years after this, two, three years after this, I believe it was. She was in the um, Constant Husband, which is a, a one I'm I'm, I'm a, a great fan of. Mm. I like the Constant Husband. Yeah. So yeah, but it was you know absolutely yes tragic, and you wouldn't you wouldn't get that these days. Obviously, um, a diagnosis being kept from somebody like that, no. but uh, obviously at the time. Uh, and certain amount of the misogyny that was uh, maybe a little bit portrayed in in Genevieve uh, with regards to the the. The men having the information and making the decisions and stuff and yeah it's tragic yeah. um because she was you know a great looking woman and um had um, acting talent and you just think what she could have have ended up doing 
um, subsequent to to that. Oh, absolutely. Um, a, a career cut short far too soon, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourite actresses of that period. That she found fame in a movie. Now, this we have got to watch at some point. Um, a few years earlier, called London Town, which was like a big Technicolor musical, British musical starring a 14-year-old Petula Clark, who by then was a veteran. You know, Petula Clark was like a famous child actress before she became known as a singer and such. And it is recognised as one of the biggest flops in British movie history. They brought in Wesley Ruggles from America, who was in, like, Western, things like that, and it was totally out of his depth, and it was apparently one of the worst movies ever made, or certainly financially, it was a terrible movie. So we're going to have to look that one up, that's London Town. But as you say, The Constant Husband is a great film. We've seen already in the Doctor movie, haven't we? Doctor in the House uh, is the of. Um, who else we got on this? We got Dinah Sheridan. Who am I well, right? Just to say about Kay Kendall, though, mm. just to you know, just as a as a, a local point for me, she she is um, Yorkshire lass. She's, she's a good, good old Yorkshire lass, and you wouldn't be able to tell that from from her enunciation of various words. You'd be able to tell she's she's from uh, from. Yorkshire um, and Yorkshire Coast particularly so yeah many people actually believe she was playing that trumpet incredibly because <laughs> well yeah no it was it was uh, Kenny Baker wasn't it not, not the Kenny Baker that we're thinking of no because the trumpet would have been bigger than him um, but it was it was the, yeah the famous trumpeter Kenny Baker um, and Michael Balfour's in in the um in the band as the guy holding the the maracas or the castanets or whatever they were they maracas aren't they mm. Well, yeah. yeah, castanets are the clicky things, aren't they? The Spanish things, yeah. Um, yeah, so Michael Balfour just sitting there not saying anything. We've got to mention Dinah Sheridan, who I think is absolutely wonderful in this, and I'm surprised. Did she appear in the Hall of Fame? She didn't, did she? Um, no, she's. we've not had really had... Um, although you look through her filmography, there's a number of films that we will get to. She's not really... Uh, made an impact yet. So. Railway Children is the yeah. main one, isn't it? She's the mother mm. of the Railway Children. Um, and am I right in thinking she's Jenny Hanley's mum? I'm, I'm sure she, she's got a famous daughter. I think it's Jenny Hanley. I remember in the 80s there was a sitcom, I think it was Nigel Havers and Tony Britton, I think it was called Don't Wait Up. They were the two doctors. Yes, yes, she and was she, in that. She, she was the wife um, and the mother, wasn't she? I think of, of, yeah, and that's how I remember her. Um, who else? Jeffrey Keane, again, amazing, like eight, nine appearances, probably best known from the, you know, as the minister from the Bond movies. Surprisingly, Reginald Beckwith, you said this was only his second appearance after... Scott of the Antarctic. I thought Reginald Beckwith was in everything, but obviously he wasn't. And I've just got one other I want to mention. I mean, please jump in with some others yourself, mate. Edie Martin, the little old lady in the guest <laughs> house. I bring her up every time little Edie Martin appears. She was like, I think she started acting years before as Music Hall or something like that. But she became more famous in a, for appearing in like nearly every Ealing comedy as little old lady on a park bench or little old lady walking by or whatever. And I absolutely adore anything that Edie Martin's in. Anybody you want to bring up, mate, on, on your massive research that you've done once again? No, you, you know, you picked off the, the main ones, absolutely. I mean, as we've said about Reginald Breckwith, there's um, certainly other films that he's going to be in and, and catapulted mm. because he was a mainstay. So, uh, and we've had other films that we, um, you know, because of things, the, the order of things, it might be by the time we get through to, I think I've already, we've already done a show where we, we, we have, have actually 
I know he what said he is. He's, he's got in. Um, was that Night of the Demon? Night of the it? Demon is yet to go yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So where we said it. So, um, so yeah. So the, the the he's you know he's made his mark there, and um, you're you know another person born in York, but um, he's, he's um he's certainly <laughs> he's cropping up everywhere. Yeah, um, somebody should do a map where you could just like hold a pointer over somewhere on the British Isles and it will tell you which yeah. famous stars are from there. Certainly with regards to the rest of the cast, there was, you know, a lot of people in there that we are aware of from plenty of other things um, that are lovely to see. But yeah, seeing seeing um, John Gregson and Kenneth Moore together and playing off against each other, I think uh, superb really what they're, they're doing and, you know, We've said before about Kenneth Moore how much we do like him and how, oh, how superb, he was. Yeah. He, he was in some ways um, really. He, he managed to be a, a bit like the the British Jimmy Stewart in that he, he could play that everyman sort of thing, that likable yeah. um, man that sometimes without his depth, but actually you know was was um, doing what he could. So because you know there's plenty of other things that he, we've seen him in where he's done done all of that. He plays the the hero, the you know the humble hero quite well as well as as in this playing the um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the protagonist, the cad, <laughs> the protagonist. Made a mm. made a, a a career in later life as as military types, didn't he? Things like the longest day in the Battle of Britain he was in, and I just love him, absolutely adore him. Was, he was in Scrooge, wasn't he? The musical. I'm looking down at his list here, talking to Jimmy Stewart. He was in No Highway in the Sky, starring Jimmy Stewart. Um, Scott of the Antarctic, Northwest Frontier. I keep getting that wrong, don't I? I keep saying Northwest Passage. You know, Reach for the Sky, yeah. Reach for the Sky. We haven't covered that. You know, that's got to be on our list at some point. Um, no, and it, and the, you know. It's, Say thirty nine steps and stuff like that as well. That there was, um, you know, that where he went through uh, the 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 phase of of being this accidental hero. Yes, which he you know he was believable in. Although you know, not, not saying he's a bad looking man, but he certainly uh, managed to come across as being the everyman. mention sort of like people involved in this movie not necessarily the cast but people that sort of the backstage boys as we like to call them but we don't normally credit composers musicians that much apart from John Barry we always mention John Barry whenever he appears Larry Adler uh, what yes. this distinctive harmonica uh, as as the soundtrack, and I think Eric Rogers was sort of involved, who, who did the Carry On music as well. I think he had a hand in it, or certainly in some of the dance sequences or something I saw on the credit. We were speaking last week, weren't we, mate, with uh, Mark, who co-hosts our Hammer episode. Yes. And uh, we told him we were recording today and doing Genevieve, and he went, "Oh, can you mention?" <laughs> he said the first. Was it the first sort of stage show he ever went to or something? A theatre, I think he said. And he said it was a Larry Adler concert. And he was like really laughing about it because he was trying to remember, you know. He said it was, I'm sure it was that Larry Adler. Or Larry Adler was a guest on it. And he said, no, no, it wasn't. It was Larry Adler all the way through. <laughs> just, just a man yeah, standing yeah. up in a bow tie playing a harmonica. <laughs> I remember him appearing on like all the variety shows in the 70s. You know, he'd always turn up on um, Parkinson or something, you know, or 
um, seaside special or something on Saturday night. You know, Larry Adler and his harmonica. It is quite a distinctive soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he embedded himself here over in in the UK when he you know, tran- you know transferred over from, and which was quite you know quite good for this country. We managed yeah. to to have him on the, those talk shows and <laughs> you know doing stage shows and collaborations with other artists and stuff that were even you know in his late years i mean over the last 20 30 years you know he's still collaborating with some quite big name people like sting and stuff like that um yeah that's true to, to do yeah. stuff which was was uh great a bit bit weird that apparently he was um an incredibly close friend of Peter Stringfellow, but there you go. Um, <laughs> and that's that's not uh, something you would have expected. But, Talking of cats um, and Lotharios, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I mean, it le- been able to lend his talents through to uh, stuff within the music industry generally, but also um, British film certainly was our, you know, our gain. It, it was yeah. America's loss and, and our gain over here. I just want to finalise this a wee bit. I've, I read a review somewhere that sums this movie up perfectly in one line, and you are going to agree with this. Somebody wrote, I think it was on a letterbox review, it's impossible not to watch this film on a Sunday afternoon. It is just, yeah. <laughs> it is what we've said time after time, isn't it? This is your Sunday matinee movie. Sunday afternoon or bank holidays, yeah. it's exactly that type of film. And part of that is for us, as we've recognised before, is that that was when these things were shown. Yep. Um, and we managed to watch them when we were younger. Exactly. Um, but it really, it really does. It just gives you that sense of warmth. There's no fear factor to it. It's, it's got you know, the gentle comedy in there and, and gentle rivalry, but nothing uh, upsetting. No. And you're able to just... You're able to just get cosy or let it just wash over you and, and have a chuckle and come out the other side having had a, a pleasant, what, Nothing two hours or, or Nothing, an hour, yeah. hour and a half. It is, isn't yeah. it? An hour, hour and a half. You've had an hour and a half of just, a, you know, a gentle comedy to be able to, to relax without having to think hard or and that's not to detract from the fact that this is you know there's cleverness to it but it's not challenging you can easily just sit and enjoy it which is a a hallmark of the sunday afternoon or bank holiday film that we love yeah it just sums it all up doesn't it we've been saying this for years i mean i watched it on a saturday afternoon yesterday and it was chucking it down with rain it was very dark outside at three o'clock in the afternoon and i had a i had a bottle of wine or a glass of wine bottle of wine <laughs> the wine. I had a whole yeah. whole two bottles of wine while I was watching it, no. um, and it was just like you said, it was just comforting. Totally inoffensive. Absolutely adored it this time round. I checked on my letterboxed reviews previously when I'd watched it, probably about two three years ago, and I'd given it four stars previously. I've bumped that up to five. There's nothing I can fault with this movie at all. Sometimes you look back and you think, oh, that's of its time or something. Mate, there's nothing in here that would like offend the snowflakes of this generation. It's it's just perfect for every age. This movie. It doesn't upset. It's uh, very nicely done. There's a, a good pace to it. You have the fact that the the setup is um, engaging, as is the actual the race. That then it happens part way through the film. They then have this race back from from Brighton. Yeah. 
the overlapping different schemes when you think, oh, like this is it, then he's, you know, he's got one up and that's it. He won't recover from this. And then something happens to him himself. And that to and fro in that tennis match almost with regards to who's getting ahead and whose silly little scheme of, of upsetting the other's progress. It just bounces between the two in a, a very even way that keeps you guessing about what the outcome is going to be. And with the stakes being what they are, yes, it's important to the to the people, but it's not it's not life or death. So you yeah. can you can take a, a relaxed view of it of going, oh well, it's not the end of the world if he does. You know, in some films, you you've got to assume that the the hero will prevail, otherwise it is the end of the world literally. Whereas in this, you don't second guess what the outcome's going to be because the stakes are what they are really. Yeah, um, but it's it's a lovely thing to to watch. Genevieve will always believe 
There we go. That was Genevieve. Now, it's your choice next time, my friend. I've got an inkling as to what it is because you told me. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could let our listener know, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit excited about this one. We have got off track with our intention to be working our way through Social Problem, the, the Kitchen Sink, that type of film that we were on with. So uh, it's about time we got back on that horse and, and made a bit more progress. And the next one for us is the delightful The Entertainer from 1960, yeah. uh, starring Laurence Olivier, Roger Livesey, Joan Plowright, Alan Birch, you know, wow. as a, a, a Albert Finney. There's a number of opinions. Uh, Thor heard. Uh, so, <laughs> They're all um, in this one. Oh, my life. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm making a rod for me on back with it, I think. Yep. You know, Charles Gray's in there, I don't know. But it's, you know, certainly, you know, a, a film that is one that we absolutely need to do and have neglected doing for too long. So uh, it's about time we, we did get back to it. Weirdly, you know, we've just done a film in from... 1953 in colour and now we're doing a film from 1960 in, in black and white but um, you know, I think the mood suits uh, suits it easy enough uh, does that so yeah. it'll be um, a great watch for us and we'll, uh, we'll be doing that in the new year I think it's been over a year since we've actually visited the kitchen sinks I'm sure it's been quite a while and just looking at the crew rather than the cast you know you mentioned all of those wonderful people that we're going to expect you know we, we th- Albert Finney, you know, this is what we're thinking of Kitchen Sinks when Albert Finney and Shirley Ann Field are in a movie. Directed by Tony Richardson, written by John Osborne. You know, this yeah. is yeah. classic sort of era now. And I know we sort of drift off a little bit because we sort of decided there were 10 or 11 definitive Kitchen Sink dramas, but we've taken the decision to include others from that era that are sort of influenced by the kitchen sinks and the social problem movies so you know coming up we're gonna have things like Alfie you know and this this is one of the original 10 or 11 this is always included on the list because of that pedigree of Tony Richardson and John Osborne I've just noticed Nigel Neal had a part in the screenplay as well so have you seen this I've seen it a couple of times I've seen it once, but it was, I think, over 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's going to be um, a, a big refresher for me. There'll be bits that will come back to me as I'm watching it, but um, in the main, this will almost be uh, a, a completely new watch for me, which yeah. is a delight, really, because I know I'll enjoy it. So it's one of those that you, it, you've you forgotten, but you remember uh, that you enjoy it. So of course, you, yeah. yeah. So, so you get to enjoy it refresh all over again, <laughs> which is a delight. It got an X certificate at the time. It's 1960. It's just on the on the cusp of the uh, the permissive age, you know, and the pill, and oh, you know, the swinging 60s haven't quite kicked in. Uh, it's a very sort of edgy period in British history. You know, the Lady Chatley thing will be kicking in about now, and and you just get the feeling watching this that this is something really challenging and sort of different it's on the edge you know and it's a great performance from olivier in this and everybody brenda the bands is in it who i love you know um i'm looking forward to this but we're going to save this for the new year so yeah the entertainer 1960 fantastic choice mate okay that's it for another episode of real britannia Stephen, thank you so much for your thoughts on genevieve today my pleasure i will see you in a couple of weeks time take care take care
positive shower. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir. I'm sick of pains. <laughs>